afternoon and welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Sam. And I'm Shane. And tonight we're going to talk about some murder. Yes. And just a heads up, I have a bit of a cold. So if I sound sniffly or congested, it's because I am. So <laughs> apologies ahead of time. That's all right. I hear that so often on other podcasts. So it is completely norm, normal for everyone. Yeah, I thought the, um, the C word had gotten me. But it hasn't. I don't know how I've escaped it three years <laughs> in, but somehow I have escaped it. Mm-hmm. Um, knock on wood. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to cut the, the small talk because honestly, I don't need to be talking a lot because, you know, sniffles and congestion and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and tonight we are going to talk about the murder of Sarah Stern. Okay. Now, this is a listener request. So I hope, listener, that you enjoy it. Well, not enjoy it. I hope that I deliver it in a way that you find listenable. <laughs> and I got my information from for this case from an episode of 2020, a Dateline episode, and an episode of On the Case with Paula Zahn. Because this is a very popular case to be covered because it is so crazy. All right. I don't know if I knew it, but I'm ready to hear it. Yes. So tonight we're going to go to Neptune City, New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, where Sarah Lee Stern was born on March 24th, 1997. And when I heard her name, Sarah Lee, I was like, oh, I really want cake. But <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, she was born to parents Carla and Mike, and she was an only child. Originally, until uh, Carla became pregnant with Sarah, she didn't think she could have children. So Mike said that Sarah was a blessing. She was their miracle baby. Mm-hmm. And actually, her mother was older when she gave birth. Her mom was about 40 years old when she had Sarah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Carla and Mike adored her. She was raised in the tiny town of Neptune City, and it's along the Jersey coast. Neptune City is quiet and residential where everyone knows everyone. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to New Jersey? I actually have. I mostly drove through it, but I spent a night in it when I did a summer program up in New York and we chose to drive from North Carolina to New York City in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. So I spent a couple of days in a tiny, tiny town in New Jersey. Like I'm talking in like the stretch of one street, we were able to go to the only elementary school, the post office, a church and a restaurant and circle back around. And that was the entire town. Oh, wow. So (laughs) it's like a one block town. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Neptune City is a little bit bigger than that, but everybody knows everybody. Sarah's parents were active members in their community and their family was well-known and well-liked. Growing up, Sarah was funny and she was spunky. She was creative. She and her family loved Disney, like all things Disney, and they took several trips to Disney World. Mm -hmm. Their neighbors, the Drapers were close family friends. In fact, in an interview with Robin Draper, the mom of that family said that she and Carla raised their children together. So Sarah became extremely close with Robin's children, Carly and Sam. And it was a fun neighborhood to grow up in. Like she essentially lived across the street from some of her best friends, which was pretty cool. I would like that. Yeah, me too. I'd our neighbors egged our house one year that we were not friends with our neighbors. We were not either. And, and that's a whole different story. <laughs> yeah. 
So in elementary school, Sarah really developed her core group of friends and they added to the group, you know, as they got older, but Mm -hmm. it started out with, you know, Sarah and Sam and Carly and um, their friend Liam McAtasney. And the parents of the, the kids in that group said that like those friends were always together. They were always at somebody's house or they were going to the movies. Mike said that the parents were like, a lot of times would like scramble to see who was carpooling because the kids would make plans and then the parents would be like, okay, well, who's going to take you to like the birthday party or church or your sporting event or whatever you guys have planned. Mm-hmm. So they were just like, they really, they were really close. They spent a lot of time together. And as Sarah got older, she became really involved in sports and was like a great softball player. She was one of the best on her team, but she was also into video games and Pokemon She was a really good student. Yeah, she was like, she did everything. Mm -hmm. She was a good student. Her teacher said she was helpful. And she treated all of her classmates with kindness. She was just like overall very pleasant to be around. She just had a really good childhood. But then unfortunately on February 4th, Mm -hmm. 2013, Sarah's world changed forever when her mother Carla lost her battle with cancer. Oh. Sarah, Yeah. Sarah was only 15 years old. And so after her mother passed away, it was just Sarah and her dad, Mike. And the two of them became even closer. They kind of had to, like, they had to lean on each other. Mm -hmm. And then Sarah also leaned into her artistic abilities. She was really talented. So she didn't have to, you know, try very hard to create great work. And (laughs) she loved art in all forms. She loved drawing and painting, photography and film. When she was in high school, one of her classes actually got the opportunity to decorate one of the big windows in like a local shop. Mm-hmm. And Sarah's drawing of a snowman was like front and center. And there's a picture of Sarah with her standing beside her snowman. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And then in a 2020 episode, some of her photos were featured that she had taken. Mm-hmm. And they were so cool. There's one photo where it's kind of like Sarah's silhouette. So you just see like a dark silhouette of Sarah and it looks like she's holding the sun. It's really neat. (laughs) Yeah. And so even after her mother's death, Sarah continued to be what she called a reckless optimist where she Mm -hmm. just looked for the light in whatever situation she was, she found herself in and she found her strength and comfort with her friends and her family and her dog buddy oh Um, i like that name (laughs) yes i know her friend said that she adored buddy Mm -hmm. one of her friends said she had never seen somebody love a dog the way that sarah loved buddy i was like girl i feel you when i had dig seriously if i had to choose between saving you or dig from falling (laughs) off a cliff like i love you shane but i'll see you at your funeral i'll give your eulogy (laughs) good to know (laughs) no that's okay i totally understand (laughs) so like when sarah was home buddy had run out of the house and he like probably followed her everywhere Mm -hmm. and then sarah had also built a strong relationship with her dad's girlfriend christy Um, Sarah was absolutely devastated after the death of her mother, but she also realized that at some point in the healing process, like her dad was ready to open his heart again. And Sarah felt that Christy was a good match for her dad. And she and Christy bonded over a shared loss because Christy had lost her mom when she was young. Mm -hmm. 
Sarah continued to participate in school events. She was active. She went to junior prom with like one of her close friends, Preston Taylor. She also got really into YouTube, like not necessarily creating content, but like involved, like watching content. (laughs) Um, Me every night. (laughs) Me too. And like, so I was not like um, into YouTube when it first became a thing. And now I'll watch it for more like, lifestyle and stuff like mm-hmm. that um but she watched it for like jenna marbles videos and um she actually got to go to vidcon in toronto and got to meet like some pretty famous youtubers but that was and really fun. While, yeah and well and when she was there she like absolutely fell in love with canada mm-hmm. so much so that she had plans to move there in the future like she wanted to move to canada <laughs> And so after high school, she started attending Brookdale Community College, studying arts and TV production. Mm-hmm. So in December of 2016, Sarah was 19 years old. She was living at home with her dad, going to college, working at a restaurant, making those future plans, getting excited about them. On December 3rd, around 2.46 a.m., an Uber driver called the Neptune City Police to report an abandoned gray Oldsmobile on the Belmar Bridge that passed over the Shark River. Police, like, he told them, like, go, you know, go to our house. He also told them that they could check with the neighbors, and he also told them to reach out to Liam McAtasney because that's Sarah's best friend. Mm -hmm. And so he would probably know where Sarah is. Mike immediately began calling and texting Sarah. But she never picked up. She was not answering her phone or responding to text messages. So he and Christy packed up and began driving home immediately. Oh, they drove, not fly. They drove, yeah, yeah. Wow. Christy drove while Mike sat in the passenger seat and continued to try and reach Sarah without any success the entire 16 hours it took to get home. Goodness. Yeah, during the drive, Mike had also reached out to other family members and to Sarah's friends, and nobody could get in touch with her. And that was not like Sarah. Like, she just would not ignore a phone call or text message. Mm -hmm. And, like, she wouldn't want to worry her friends and family. So Mike finally gets home 7 p.m. that night, and he and Christy immediately joined the search. After police found Sarah's car, they drive to Sarah's house. And there is body cam footage of a lot of this. Mm-hmm. So when they get to the house, they see the lights on and they start knocking on the door, but nobody answers. They can hear a dog barking inside, but there are no other sounds. With the strange circumstances of finding Sarah's car abandoned on the bridge, um, when they discovered that the back door is unlocked, police just let themselves in. Mm-hmm. They enter the house. It doesn't look like it's been ransacked. It doesn't look like she's, you know, planned on leaving. And they found Buddy upstairs in his crate. So with the discovery of Sarah's car on the bridge overlooking the river and not being able to locate Sarah, police immediately thought that maybe Sarah had hurt herself by jumping off the bridge. And truly, that's not a far-fetched idea. Like, unfortunately, this happens, and police are well aware of it. So after searching Sarah's home, 
they walk across the street to the Draper Draper household. Robin Draper actually came outside to speak with police and told them that the last time she had heard from Sarah was the day Sarah disappeared. And Sarah had texted texted her to ask if she could come by and drop off a bin of her mother's things to store at the Draper household. And Robin was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll store it for you. Mm -hmm. Um, When Robin got home, she saw that Sarah had dropped off a bin and her daughter Carly, who had been home when Sarah brought the bin over, said, yes, Sarah brought it over and she was with Liam. So the police let Robin know that they'd found Sarah's car abandoned and asked if she thought Sarah was depressed. And Robin said, yeah, I think Sarah was experiencing some level of depression. But when they asked her if they thought if she thought Sarah would hurt herself, she's like, I don't know. That night, police also went to speak to Leah McAtasney. And by this point, it's around 4 a.m. You can also see the body cam footage of this. Um, Liam had clearly just woken up when police knocked on his door and he allowed them into the apartment that he shared with Preston Taylor. The two had moved in together after high school. Mm-hmm. Now, Preston is not interviewed at this time. I'm assuming Preston's probably still snoozing away. <laughs> Liam told police that he'd seen Sarah the day before, which is the day she disappeared. He said he'd spent basically all day with Sarah. He said that they had dropped off some of her things at the Draper household. He said that they then went to Taco Bell Mm -hmm. and then went back to Sarah's house to hang out and play video games before he had to start shift at a local steakhouse. And so he left around 4.30. When police questioned Liam and asked if he thought Sarah had been depressed, Liam said that, yeah, I think Sarah has been depressed. And police was like, well, can you try reaching out to her? She tried reaching out to you. And Liam's like, dude, like, I lost my phone yesterday and I've been trying to call and I don't know where my phone is. So I don't mm-hmm. know if she tried texting me. So they're like, okay, well, if you find your phone, try reaching out to her. Let us know if you see a message from her. And he's like, okay. I would be so upset if I lost my phone. <laughs> I, I could not function if I lost my phone. Like, I use my phone for everything. I keep notes in my phone. I pay mm-hmm. bills like on all my apps. I use it as an alarm clock. Yeah, it is sadly an extension of me. And I watch court shows too. And then I hear things like this where people are like, oh, I lost my phone. Oh, my phone broke. And I'm like, no, that's that's part of my life. I don't let that just go. <laughs> no, me either. And this is so the other night I randomly asked Shane, how would you know that I was missing and there was something wrong? And what did you say? <laughs> Well, I said there's a certain time in the evening that, like, when we get home, uh, there's a certain time that if you're not home, like, I would try to get in contact with you. But the other and the main thing was, is if the cats, like, if everything was the same as the cats when we left them in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's, like, it's weird that Buddy was, like, just locked in his crate. Like, I found it weird that Buddy was locked in his crate. Mm -hmm, Because when Sarah had been home, she just let him do whatever he wanted. Mm Mm-hmm. EMS is searching the Shark River for Sarah just in case she had jumped over the bridge, but they did not find anything. And during the surveillance of the area around the Belmar Bridge, police noticed that there were actually two surveillance cameras that faced the bridge. And so that would have caught Sarah pulling up. So they would have been able to see, like, did she park the car? Like, did she hurt herself? Did she get in the car with somebody else? However, 
when they went to go get the footage from those surveillance cameras, they were told that neither camera was working. Which, of course of not. Of course. <laughs> like, if you are a business and you have a surveillance camera, like, you have it there because you need it. Mm-hmm. Turn it on. Make sure it works. Yes. Keep up with the maintenance. <laughs> yeah. So thankfully, Mike knew that one of his neighbors actually had a surveillance camera that faced his driveway. And the neighbors readily agreed to like hand over the footage to detectives working the case. When that footage was viewed, Sarah's car was seen pulling out of her driveway a little before midnight on the night she disappeared. Mm-hmm. Now, the driver of the car could not be seen, but it was definitely Sarah's car that was leaving. Detectives also reached out to local businesses with surveillance cameras that would have been pointing in the direction Sarah would have driven from her house to the Belmar Bridge, mm-hmm. but nothing came of that. Like, they didn't see Sarah. Friends and family immediately organized a search for Sarah, and everybody turned out. Like, there was local news footage of it, and you see all of her friends and family. Police began thoroughly questioning family and friends, asking with any anyone with information, please come forward. When they spoke with Mike, he told detectives that he and Sarah had a good relationship. They'd gotten super close after her mother passed away in 2013, and they had to be there for each other. And in body cam footage, when they're talking to Liam, Sarah's friend, they find out from Liam that um, Sarah was depressed, but she'd also been talking a lot about moving to Canada because... Liam said that Sarah and her dad was having issues and that Sarah wanted to move away from him. Mm-hmm. Liam said, Mike is crazy. Oh, so that's a little bit weird. That's a new um, twist. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the police were like, you know, thinking maybe, maybe she's just ran away. Mm-hmm. Like maybe Sarah just left. So before they leave, They tell Liam, like, if you know where Sarah is, like, nobody's going to get in trouble. Just, you know, if you know where she's at. They thought maybe Liam knew and he was just hiding her. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you hear from her, just tell her to come back. Nobody's going to be in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, In questioning more of Sarah's friends, they heard more about Sarah's desire to move to Canada. And again, we're thinking like, okay, maybe this is what Sarah did her dad Mike was not so convinced that Sarah had just up and left the country without letting anybody know yeah he agreed like yeah Sarah talked about it it was a goal of hers but like she wasn't planning on leaving like right now Mike told detectives that were working the case like while he was on vacation he and Sarah had been in constant contact and their conversation was normal nothing seemed off or odd about Sarah And she hadn't indicated any plans to leave. Mm -hmm. And like when they pulled phone records, their conversation was completely normal. Like nothing weird at all. So they're still like trying to find out where Sarah is. Keep talking to friends and family. And in doing so, in addition to hearing about her desire to move to Canada, they started to get a different picture of Sarah. And of the relationship she had with her dad. It was a little bit different than the one Mike had been giving to police. Mm -hmm. So her friends and family felt that Sarah had recently been melancholy and depressed and not like super bubbly and chipper. Mm -hmm. 
some of her friends stated that she and her father had a rocky relationship. Um, Preston told detectives that Sarah had been depressed and he expressed that he was concerned that she might have hurt herself. Her neighbor and friend since childhood, Carly, told detectives that on the day Sarah disappeared, she told her that she'd lost all respect for her father, but she didn't elaborate any further. And Carly just assumed, like, Sarah was upset with her dad. But at the same time, like, Sarah was 19, and we all, I feel like we all fought with our parents when we were that age and said things that we didn't mean mm-hmm. or took things out of context or just, like, we're just little shits and got mad at our parents <laughs> for no reason, you know? Yes, for sure. So Carly didn't think anything of it. Liam voluntarily went to the police station to provide any evidence or any any information <laughs> he had Mm-hmm. which police were really grateful for because at this point like they have nothing they have sarah's mm-hmm. car they in searching the shark river they did not find sarah any indication sarah was there so during liam's interview he repeated again that you know that what they had done the day that she disappeared he said i went over there we hung out loaded up one of the bins took it to the draper household then we went to taco bell which <laughs> yeah not my not my favorite place just because of what it does to our bodies although those little cinnamon twists are the shit they are so damn good oh yeah no when they brought so the pizza back i totally went and got one. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> yeah okay now i kind of want taco bell <laughs> <laughs> so he said after they went to taco bell they went back and played video games like i told them before so again they like reviewed the surveillance footage from the Draper household and they saw Liam arriving <laughs> taking the bin of the things over to the Draper household and then go leaving and then coming back and then they see Liam leaving around four ish when he said he left mm-hmm. in that same conversation Lee, Liam continued to describe a rocky and remote rocky and tumultuous relationship between Sarah and Mike Mm-hmm. So now at this point in the investigation, detectives are beginning to think that maybe Sarah had ran away and had been planning to do so while Mike was out of town because Mike would not have been there to see her moving things around and she's moving stuff out of her house somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And Liam even told her, like, told detectives, like, yeah, I've got some of Sarah's stuff stored at my house, too. So they were like, that's you know, that's odd. Like, maybe she did just run away. Mm-hmm. And she's 19, so she's legally an adult now. Yeah. Yeah, she could do that. However, when police did a more extensive search of the Stern household, what they found did not line up with Sarah leaving to go to Canada. They found Sarah's social security card, her passport, U.S. currency, and Canadian currency. If Sarah was going to Canada, she would have taken all of that with her. Yeah, she would need it all. Yeah. And when they searched the bin of belongings that Sarah had taken to the Draper household, they found, like, it truly was, in fact, just stuff of her mom's. None of it was Sarah's. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't trying to hide her things. She was just storing her mom's stuff and just kind of cleaning house. Mm -hmm. So now police are like, okay, like... (laughs) Sarah didn't run away. And at this point in the investigation, Sarah's case was changed from a missing persons to a homicide because they were like, something happened. 
Uh. Yeah. And then police really became concerned when they received a, received a call from a local bank. The bank teller informed them that Sarah Stern had an account with them as well as a safety deposit box. Mm-hmm. And on the day Sarah disappeared, she had been at the bank to access her safety deposit box. Detectives obtained security camera footage from the bank where Sarah banked. (laughs) (laughs) And then they also were able to obtain a uh, search warrant for the safety deposit box that she had at the bank. And when they searched it, they lost their minds because inside of the safety deposit box, they found a shit ton of money. Sarah had more than $25,000 in her safety deposit box. Where does 19-year-old get $25,000 or more than well, that? Yeah. Most of it was old and brittle, but still spendable. Mm-hmm. So they were like, um, if this 19-year-old is leaving, she's not leaving all that stuff at home plus $25,000 in the bank. No. They were like, yeah. Now, now they were like super scared. They wanted to know, where does a 19-year-old get $25,000? <laughs> so they asked mike and mike's like i have no fucking idea where sarah got this money but when they spoke to her friends and one of her aunts that sarah was close to they found out that a few weeks before she disappeared sarah and liam had been cleaning out another home that sarah's parents had owned Mm -hmm. and sarah found all this money that her mom had been saving for Sarah before she passed away. Oh. So Sarah didn't tell her dad that she found the money. Her dad didn't even know that it was there. But when mm-hmm. detectives like told them that, he's like, yeah, that sounds like her mom. Like she was a planner. Mm-hmm. She was probably trying to make sure Sarah was taken care of after she passed away. So Sarah's aunt had told her like, don't tell anybody that you found all this money. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lot of money, Sarah. It is. But unfortunately, Sarah didn't listen to her aunt, and Liam had been with her. So somebody would already know. Mm-hmm. And because Sarah was 19, she had spent some of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But then she put it in the bank. From speaking with Liam and Sarah's aunt, it was estimated that Sarah had found between fifty dollars and $100,000 stored at that house. Holy crap. Yeah, they only found about $25,000 in her safety deposit box. Mm -hmm. And they were worried, like, maybe this has something to do with her disappearance. And they wanted to know where the rest of the money was. Yeah. Now, again, Sarah had spent some of it, but that's still a large chunk. Mm -hmm. Police were, like, this whole time tirelessly working the case. They found this money that Sarah had, um, knowing, like, it's probably a homicide, but we don't know exactly what happened. They finally, finally got a break two months after Sarah disappeared. A detective from another town contacted Neptune City Police to say, hey, I got a call from a family friend. And this friend told me that his son may have information about Sarah's disappearance. This kid was 19-year-old Anthony Curry. Anthony agreed to come in and talk to detectives. And what he told them was shocking. Uh-oh. Anthony said that about a week or so before Sarah disappeared, 
a friend had come to him and told him that he was going to kill somebody they knew and throw that person's body off the Belmar Bridge and said that he was going to make it look like a suicide. Mm-hmm. Now, this happened around Thanksgiving. It was not a long conversation, and both of them had been drinking. And you also need to understand that Anthony was an aspiring filmmaker who actually lived in New York City and was home on Thanksgiving break. He'd made films in the past. Most of them were horror films. And this friend, after he had told him, like, I'm going to kill somebody and throw their body off the bridge, asked him, this would make a good movie, don't you think? And this friend had pitched ideas ideas to him in the past. So Anthony was like, he did not think anything of it. Mm -hmm. Which still, if somebody told me, I'm going to kill somebody and then described how they were going to kill them, I'd still be like, um, are you okay? Exactly. <laughs> but again, Anthony didn't think anything of it other than his friend pitching him a movie plot because his friend had done that in the past. Mm-hmm. He truly did not believe his friend was going to kill anybody. And it wasn't until about a week later that Anthony found out via social media that Sarah Stern was missing under very similar circumstances as those described by their friend. And Anthony and Sarah had been friends. They went to the same high school. Mm -hmm. And when Anthony received a Snapchat message from the friend asking if police had spoken to him about Sarah's disappearance, he knew that he needed to come forward. He was still terrified, which is why he waited several weeks before he contacted police. Which, again, I would be terrified if one of my friends said they were going to kill somebody and then somebody disappeared. That's very scary. Yeah. But Anthony was confident that his friend had told him exactly what he was planning to do to Sarah Stern. And when police asked who this friend was, Anthony said it was Liam McAtasney. Oh, no. Liam and Sarah had been best friends since elementary school. Mm-hmm. Over a decade. Yes. Police had not suspected Liam at all mm-hmm. in Sarah's disappearance because he had been cooperative and forthcoming with information. He participated in searches for Sarah and had willingly brought himself to the police department to participate in a voluntary interview. Mm-hmm. Police only stopped questioning Liam when Liam's parents got an attorney for Liam. Liam didn't ask for an attorney. His parents did it without Liam even knowing. Mm -hmm. So that's why police stopped talking to him. They were like, what the hell just happened? They did not suspect him at all. So they knew they had to get more information. And they asked Anthony if he would help. And Anthony's like, yeah, of course. (laughs) So initially, police went through their Snapchat messages, recorded a couple phone calls, and their plan was to have Anthony tell Liam that he had broken his good camera and to ask to borrow some money. Mm -hmm. But Liam was super careful in how he responded so as not to incriminate himself. And when Anthony told him, like, he broke his camera and asked if he could borrow some money, that he got from that girl. Liam said he really couldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. The closest Aunt, uh, Liam ever came to incriminating himself 
is in one Snapchat message, he indicated that the money that he had was old and low quality, oh. which is exactly the kind of money that Sarah had found in that house. Mm-hmm. Liam said he just, he didn't want to talk about it over the phone through messages, but he and Anthony agreed to meet in person to talk about it. So if police had any doubts at all about Anthony's credibility, they were quickly squashed when Anthony agreed to participate in a sting operation in an attempt to get a full confession from Liam. Mm-hmm. Which, oh, <laughs> I would be so fucking scared. <laughs> I would do. Like, I always want to think that the actor in me, I could wear a wire and go undercover. But then, like, the real me would be nervous as I'll get out. Oh, no. I wear my emotions on my face. Mm-hmm. I, no way. No way. I could do that. But Anthony agreed to do it. And detectives wired him up and set up hidden cameras in his car. So on the day that he and Liam are to meet, like you can see that on the way to where they're meeting, Anthony is so nervous. Mm -hmm. And so he's singing to his music, smoking a cigarette, trying to like calm his nerves. There were undercover police parked nearby in case they needed to intervene. And they were also watching live camera footage from Anthony's car. So when Liam arrived, he parked his car. Detectives walked him, watch over to get into Anthony's. And then they started watching the footage. Mm-hmm. And they were immediately concerned. And I'm sure Anthony was shitting his pants. Because as soon as Liam got in his car, Anthony, uh, Liam said, you can't blame me for doing this, but I got to fill you up for a minute. No disrespect. And he began patting Anthony down. Oh, to search no. for a wire. Oh, my yeah. God. Like watching this footage is chilling, chilling. Mm-hmm. Like I was so nervous for Anthony. Like as soon as I saw Liam doing that, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I can only imagine what Anthony was feeling. And I don't know how Anthony kept his cool, but yeah. he did. And thankfully he stopped before he found the wire that Anthony was wearing. Mm-hmm. And then he began openly talking about murdering his best friend since childhood. Wow. He told, yeah, yeah, it's chilling, chilling. He told Anthony that the FBI had been on his ass, said at first it was the police, but since money was involved, now the FBI was involved. Mm-hmm. And Anthony was like, why? Like, why are they following you? And Liam said, coldly and flatly, Sarah like and he gave them this look like you should already know Mm -hmm. Liam gave gave a full account about what happened on the day that Sarah disappeared he said that day you know he told them you know they did all the stuff that he had told them but Mm -hmm. this time he included that he had been with Sarah when she went to the bank to withdraw money Apparently, he had been encouraging her to move to Canada, and part of that entailed withdrawing the money from her safety deposit box. After they got back to Sarah's house, they began counting the money, and then Sarah gets up to walk out of the room. Liam walked up behind her and basically got her into a chokehold and pulled her back into the room. And he told Anthony, like, and see, when he's saying this, he is so cold. He's saying it so flatly. There's no emotion. It's like he's talking about 
the weather. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, I basically hung her like that. My God. Like she was, her feet were dangling. However, when that did not work, he took a t-shirt and stuffed it down her throat and held his no- hands over her nose until she died. Oh. And if that isn't disturbing enough, Liam told Anthony it took much longer than he expected it would to kill Sarah. And he said it took about 30 minutes. And he knew it took about 30 minutes because before he attacked her, he set a timer on his phone to find out how long it would take to kill Sarah. So he wanted to know how long it would take. Yeah. He said that Sarah's last words were his name. Yeah, like, she was yeah. the betrayal. My God. Actually, the episode of Dateline is called The Betrayal of Sarah Stern. Oh. Yeah. Like, if she said, you're, you were her best friend. Like, mm-hmm. you were her best friend. This is why I also asked you yesterday, please don't kill me. Exactly. Promise me. I'm, I made Shane promise not to kill me, guys. I made Shane promise not to kill me. And I never, ever would. Yes, we made that promise. It's, it's never yeah. going to happen. I'm also yeah, tremendously so, weak, so it would I would not be a good murderer anyway. I couldn't move the body. I have lots of injuries. If someone struck me in one part of my body, I'm done. I'm down for the count. I would be a terrible yeah. murderer. So, um, Liam told Anthony that the reason he killed Sarah was for the money. He had actually planned to kill Sarah a few days before, but when he went to kill her, I don't know what they were exactly talking about, but Sarah let out that like her money wasn't at home. It was actually at the bank. So he decided to not kill her that day and wait until he knew she had the money at home before he killed her. Yeah, because he wouldn't be able to get the money. He had been planning to kill Sarah since the day she found the money. Yeah. Holy crap. That's that's so sad. Someone that you've known since elementary school. Mm-hmm. And Ah, uh, like hit no emotion, no feeling. Like it's so disturbing. Yeah, because you know she trusted him one hundred percent. Of course, that was her best friend. Mm-hmm. Like you, when I get bonuses at work, most mm-hmm. of the time I tell you how much I get. Like yeah, it, it, I, I get. I've given you my credit card before to go pick up stuff. Mm-hmm. Like. I trust you completely yes. with my life and with my money. Like, <laughs> exactly. And I, you, that's the type of friendship it, we have. <laughs> and then he talked about how disappointed he was and the amount of money that he'd gotten. Liam said that the worst part about killing Sarah is that he thought he was going to be walking out with between 50 and a hundred grand, but he only got like 10,000. Yeah. So he only killed her essentially over $10,000. He was upset. He said it was only 10000 But then he was like, um, you know, it, he, he basically had enough just to throw really good parties and live comfortably for a little bit. Like. What a piece of work. So cold and so callous. Like, I don't know how he could talk about it. So without any emotion. Like, mm-hmm. so cold. I mean, and I don't know how Anthony kept his cool. I'm sure Anthony was absolutely terrified that his friend just talked so coldly about murdering someone that he had been best friends with. 
Yeah. And then Leah made a comment about how Sarah's dog, Buddy, watched as he killed her and didn't try to help her. Which I think is complete bullshit. Yeah. I think that when they got back home, Sarah probably put Buddy in his crate so she and Liam could count the money without Buddy getting in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Because I know how, like, when I had Dig and now that I have Winnie and Ollie, like, they're always in my lap. I can't do anything without yeah. one of them being nearby. If I was counting a lot of old, brittle money, I would put them away, like, in mm-hmm. my room where I would have done, I would have counted the money away from Dig. Yes. I don't think there is any way that Buddy watched Liam kill Sarah and didn't do anything. Yeah, no, I don't believe that for a minute. No. And when the um, police arrived, Buddy was in his crate. Mm-hmm, exactly. I don't think he had been, I don't think Buddy had been free the entire time Sarah had been dead. Mm-hmm. Because I think that if that had happened, Buddy would have been barking or howling. I don't think he even knew that Sarah had probably died. Or wow. if he did, Liam did something to Buddy to make him afraid. Mm-hmm. Which is extremely upsetting on a whole different level. Yes. Um, but then Liam dropped another bombshell on Anthony. Liam said that he hadn't been alone in the planning of Sarah's murder or the disposal of her body. He said his roommate and Sarah's friend Preston Taylor had also helped. Oh, no. Not another one. Yeah. Liam said that after he killed Sarah, he pulled her body into the bathroom and then he had to go to work. Mm -hmm. So Preston went to Sarah's house, moved her body from the bathroom to outside under some bushes, and then looked for Liam's phone because at this point Liam had realized like he had lost his phone. And so I know Sarah's cousin actually found Liam's phone in the driveway Mm -hmm. the morning after Sarah disappeared. But didn't think anything of it because Liam was always at Sarah's house. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. after Liam gets off work, Preston met Liam at Sarah's house. Um, the two of them loaded Sarah's body into the passenger seat of her car. And Liam drove to the bridge with Preston following behind him. So when that surveillance footage picked Sarah's car picked up Sarah's car leaving her driveway that was um Liam driving her car with Sarah's body in the passenger seat oh yeah her poor family and <laughs> Liam and Liam and Preston knew there were surveillance cameras so they were very careful to mm. avoid the cameras mm-hmm. and they had bought they had bought walkie-talkies to communicate prior to this so they had been planning this for a while wow yep so their plan was to make it look like Sarah had jumped off the bridge. Um, so when they get to the bridge, Liam told Anthony that initially he was supposed to be the only one throwing Sarah's body over the bridge, but he underestimated how heavy a dead body is. Mm-hmm. And he was struggling to throw Sarah over. So when he sees cars in the distance coming towards the bridge, he walkie-talkies Preston for help, and then Preston comes to help him toss Sarah's body over the bridge. Then they went and got in Preston's car and went home and went to bed. They just went to bed after disposing of a body. 
when police went to speak to Liam on that morning at 4 a.m., just four hours before, he had thrown Sarah's body off the bridge. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Liam told Anthony that he expected to feel different after killing Sarah, but he didn't feel any different. He just felt the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Of course not. Like, you feel the same exact way you did before you murdered your best friend. <laughs> before he got out of Anthony's car, he kind of made a veiled threat and told Anthony, like, just play dumb because you're the only other person that knows about this other than Preston. And I don't want Preston to think he has to kill you to keep you quiet. Detectives did not have a body. Mm-hmm. And so to further corroborate Liam's account, even though they had a confession and could arrest him for that, they brought in Preston for questioning. Mm-hmm. And police thought Preston would stay quiet and act dumb. Um, but when they told him, like, we know that Liam killed Sarah, and we know that you know that Liam killed Sarah. Preston spilled the entire can of beans on the table for detectives. <laughs> Good. The assistant, pro- yeah, the assistant prosecutor on the case said he had never seen anyone confess so quickly as Preston Taylor. Mm-hmm. Preston and Liam were both arrested in February 2017. Preston took detectives step by step through what happened. And they called. Like, he took them on a walkthrough of the Stern household, and all of that is called on body cam. And there, you can watch videos, like, it's in those documentaries of Preston walking them through Sarah's house, saying, this is where I found Sarah's body. This is how I picked her body up and moved it to the bushes. And then he takes them to the Belmar Bridge, where he shows them how he and Liam picked Sarah up and threw her over the bridge. And again, he does it without any emotion at all, while he is explaining in excruciating detail about disposing of Sarah's body. Yes. Yeah. He then took detectives to the two locations where he and Liam had buried Sarah's money, mm-hmm. and police found $9,000 between the two locations. When Liam was arrested, he would not cooperate at all with detectives. However, this dumbass couldn't or wouldn't explain how the key to the safes where Sarah's money was found was in his pocket mm-hmm. on his oh, wow. key ring. So in 2018, Preston took a plea deal in exchange for a lesser sentence. He agreed to testify against Liam. Um, going into Liam's trial in 2019, they were prosecutors were well aware that they were basically going into the trial without a body. Mm-hmm. They opened by letting the jury know that the reason they didn't have a body is because Liam McIntasney had destroyed it. They called an expert witness that could testify to the flow currents of the Shark River and how quickly Sarah could have made it away from the search area. Sarah's body could have made it at least seven miles away from the bridge within 24 hours. And she was in the water headed towards the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, no. Detectives, yeah. They all knew, like, they weren't going to find Sarah's body. And to this day, Sarah's body, like, it was never found. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. No, me either. Like, knowing what had happened is just, like, <sighs> mm-hmm. Um, 
Knowing that information also made a question that Liam had asked during one of his interviews seem much darker. So in one of the interviews that Liam gave to detectives, he'd asked the ter- detectives, like, if Sarah has jumped over the bridge, what are the chances that she's not already in the ocean? Yeah. So he's just wanting, he was hoping that they would give him some inclination that there would be no hope in finding yeah. her. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Preston also testified. Um, and then in addition to Preston's testimony, the jury was also able to watch the hidden camera confession Liam had made in Anthony's car. Mm-hmm. Now, even though Mike was well aware that Liam and Preston had both essentially confessed to murdering Sarah, he'd never seen the confession tape until he went to court. And throughout the trial, the trial, Mike had been very stoic. He wasn't, you know, he was not reacting to much. But when he saw the tape, he just completely broke down as he watched Liam provide in gruesome details how he killed Sarah. The defense tried to state that the confession given by Liam um, was not at all a true confession, but it was actually a pitch for a movie idea that he had, (laughs) which it wasn't. But if it was, if it was, what kind of person would make up that terrible story about murdering one of your childhood best friends who had been missing for a few weeks mm-hmm. like you just don't no and you don't go something in that you do you don't go in to movie pitchings or whatever else you want to pitch to anyone and be like i need to search you for a mic first no one does yeah, that exactly oh my god so the defense also provided a witness stating that he'd seen sarah storm to sarah stern the morning after she disappeared and they saw her walking on the Belmar Bridge in the direction away from where her car was found abandoned. <laughs> he said that around 5 a.m. on that morning, he'd seen a woman he fully believed was Sarah Stern wearing a black leather bomber jacket and heels. And then he'd passed by the abandoned Oldsmobile on the bridge. He said he remembered that it was that morning because he'd made a comment to his son who was also in the car that this is a terrible place for your car to break down Mm -hmm. now the prosecution was able to show that that was complete bullshit (laughs) because they were able to provide evidence that sarah's car had been towed off the bridge by 4 a.m it was not on that bridge at 5 a.m when he Mm -hmm. said that he saw it and sarah's friends and family were like there's no damn way Sarah would be caught wearing heels. Sarah wore Uggs and Timberland boots. She Mm -hmm. did not wear heels. That is not it. Mm -mm. The jury did not buy anything that the defense was selling. Good. And on February 6, 2019, Liam was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. As he should be. Preston Taylor was, yeah. Preston Taylor was sentenced to 18 years in prison for his role in Sarah's death. And he has to serve at least 15 before he's eligible for parole. In February 2020, 2022, he tried to appeal his sentence to get a shorter sentence. And that was denied. He mm-hmm. lost that appeal. Since Sarah's body has never been found, her family did hold a celebration of life for her. They had rented out a community center and covered multiple, like, rented out several rooms and covered it wall to wall with Sarah's artwork there was over like a thousand visitors that came 
and her friends and her family gave statements about Sarah and who she was and how much she loved them and how she showed them that she loved them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Mike Stern, along with Sarah's high school, created a scholarship to keep her name alive that is given to a graduating senior that's pursuing a degree in the arts. Oh, yeah. Mike said that he thinks about Sarah every day and that he still talks to her all the time. Mm-hmm. That is just, it's so sad. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I think that Sarah probably was just like frustrated with her dad. I think that her and her dad had a good relationship. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I think they probably just had like normal arguments that you have with your parents. Mm-hmm. When you're 19 when you're years old. <laughs> yeah. And you think you know everything and you're telling your dad, I'm going to move to Canada. And he's like, maybe this isn't the right time because you're in college. Like, mm-hmm. You're also only 19. <laughs> yeah. So that is, that is the story of Sarah Stern. It's sad. I say it all the time, but it's sad, especially when, you know, how do you kill your best friend? Yeah. You just no it's just <laughs> like I mean I, I couldn't kill anybody anyway yeah but I don't care how much money you have I'm not going to kill you Shane I promise like I may be like <laughs> hey can you spot me like if you found like a hundred thousand dollars I'm like hey I just found out that I need my true story my car has a pretty pricey <laughs> yes. repair that I've got coming up on Thursday can you spot me exactly I'll pay you back. <laughs> or maybe you know you just came into like a hundred thousand dollars could you just like give that to me we're best exactly. friends like could you do that <laughs> yes <laughs> but for Liam and so when he was speaking to Anthony he told them initially it started out as a plan to just rob Sarah mm-hmm. but then they decided it would just be better to kill her that's it's it's so tragic it's so <sighs> sad it's like you I can, I can never kill anyone much likely a best friend I can never kill you I can never kill like just no anyone I know it's just it's not in our being no and I know that I've kind of like delivered it very um like calmly mm-hmm. but when I tell you that the surveillance footage of Liam's confession is chilling it's honestly the stuff of nightmares like this kid has no feeling, no feeling whatsoever. Yeah. Is it a psychopath that doesn't show emotions? Yes. Okay. I, I think so. That yeah, that's definitely him. Mm-hmm, for yeah. sure. Anyway, um, I guess we'll end it there. My, my throat is hating me right now. Oh, well, if you guys would like to reach out to us, if you guys want to make more requests, because this this episode and the one before it were both listener requests and i'm very happy we got those and have been able to do those give us more reach out to us on instagram at monsters and murder pod or at gmail at monsters and murder pod at gmail.com yes and until next time everyone please stay safe yes, say and I'm... wow I, I i butchered that please stay safe how about that <laughs> and you can say safe like that's cool too <laughs> yes just be kind to each other like exactly kindness goes a long way and we need more yeah yeah exactly all right until next time everyone bye bye